and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a weekly podcast where people get a chance to talk about their character from different role-playing games. I'm your host Jeremy, and today my guest is author and podcaster Mariah Powell, uh, the creator of subversive vampire tale in Blood That Binds, which you can find over on the podcast Hobbies Include Writing, and there's a real joy to listen to. There was something weird going on with the audio in this recording, um, I think it was some sunspots. I'm not sure really what was affecting it, but you won't even notice it, I promise. I really enjoyed hearing about Mariah's journey to D&D and the experience creating a world and characters, and I think you will as well. I work, which my studio is in a shed in my backyard. Right. (laughs) Yes. No, I had to shift my entire operation because I run games... um, for money basically as well mm-hmm. for D so i had to move everything into my one of my rear rooms so i wasn't using mm-hmm. basically so i had a separation between rest time and and work time when i was um in lockdown and it's great except it's so far away from the modem that i can't always connect and it's it's an odd and the other problem is that in the morning like this the sun comes in and it just heats up something something chronic the cat loves it but uh, for me, oh it's yeah, a it's bit it's uh, summertime for you guys. It's summertime yeah. for you guys now. Right now, I've got my little heater buddy next to me. Yep. Yeah, it's just starting to warm up. Really, it hasn't hit those <laughs> shocking days yet, but uh, they're going to be pretty close. Nice. So I live pretty far north in the U.S., so our winter like eight months. Long. <laughs> yeah, is the the cold and the not cold. The two seasons. Um, but th- maybe to start with, um, hopefully a number of your listeners have come over to, to this podcast to hear about it, but it, a few that have come over from my other podcast of Dyson DM. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, your your podcast, Hobbies Include Writing. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Hobbies Include Writing was actually a little bit inspired a lot of D&D actual play or sort of fantasy adjacent improv podcast that I had listened to. Um, I'm, I'm not that much of an improviser, but I what I do is I write fiction and I release a chapter at a time, a chapter per episode, and the story is still in progress. So I really invite listeners to be as active and as involved as they want to be in critique story or you know having conversations with me or with each other to kind of shape where the story is going to go Mm -hmm. so it is a bit more of a is it more collaborative or is it more you're getting a workshop of the story each chapter say it leans more towards the collaborative side you know with podcasts you always start out with a smaller number of listeners and so how it's turned out so far is that I have a couple of listeners that are really really engaged and involved and um, a couple of my one of my patrons uh, one of my patreon tiers is that people can actually see the google doc that I'm writing the story in and comment alongside of it Mm -hmm. Um, and I have one person who's super active and is constantly making edits and suggestions and catching all of my mistakes uh, I, I appreciate her very much but yeah it's it's not collaborative exactly in the way that D is where it's an exact um you know they're, they're not totally deciding where the story is going to go but i do invite them to be part of that feedback and and to catch me up uh on things that don't make sense and i've had people come in and say i need more detail about this because i don't really understand what's going on it's like okay well we're going to put another chapter in now that kind of fleshes out some of these plot points that were maybe clear in my head but not as clear on the page as i thought they were going to be it's like having 20 or 30 editors that can just peruse the work at any given time it really is it's really just me shamelessly getting free beta readers But it is a little bit like uh, you were saying that it is that collaborative process almost of the world building because someone can come along and say, well, I'm really interested in this bit and maybe I didn't understand that as well. And it is like when a player is talking to a dungeon master saying, well, what if I went over down that street in the town? What if I talked to this NPC? What would happen and what do they look like? And you're not required to come up with something, but you are stretching those imaginative muscles. 
Yeah, exactly. I think one of the questions I got early on or some of the feedback I got from people early on was like, well, how does the magic work? There is magic going right now, which is a sort of a modern vampire witch side of uh, sort of story. And people are like, well, how does the magic work? And, you know, it's coming f- at that from the opposite end, whereas in D&D, you have these rules and these mechanics for this is how the magic works. Whereas in my world, uh, it's sort of loosey-goosey, and even the characters aren't 100% sure how it works. It just does. It's not a science. It is fantastical. Exactly. Exactly. And it's more... It's uh, in blood that binds. It's more energetic and less like moving objects around and uh, flying and that sort of thing. Right, right. And now you said before that it was a bit inspired or to start the podcast, you're a bit inspired by actual play D&D podcasts. Did you start listening to those before you started playing or was it the other way around? Oh, I started listening. I think it was like a year and a half ago, I started listening to a couple of actual play podcasts and I bounced around between some before I found the ones that I really settled into and liked. Uh, And then I'd gotten away from it a little bit. And then this past spring with the shutdown, I was listening to podcasts pretty much constantly. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, and actual play to me, it's just so interesting because I was a theater nerd when I was in high school and I really like all of the combination of storytelling elements and the improv and the voices and the acting and all of those things. So, and every winter we kind of try to come up with a new hobby because our winters are so long and cold and we're not really outdoor winter sport people. So end of summer this year, I sort of asked him, I said, well, well what if we actually did D&D this year? We've been talking about it for a while. And so we just kind of went on some group finders and our first a couple attempts at a group, uh, it's it's sort of like, like going on blind dates. And, uh, yes, it is very much like that. It, it is, except it's like polyamorous blind dating where there's yeah. like six people and you have to get along with extent um and our first dm was great but it just didn't work out with scheduling and our second group we really liked several of the players and got along well with them uh but our dm was was fairly young which i don't think is always necessarily a problem but i think he was a little bit more interested in writing a book uh and was railroading us really really hard and was sort of the type of naming you know the street sweeper in an obscure village you know that we're probably never going to visit but didn't have a whole lot ready to go for sessions yes yes Uh, so he too much he was tolkening yes that's a better word for it (laughs) yeah so uh so and while we were uh, searching for another group, my husband said to me, he was like, well, you're really creative and you've been listening to actual play podcasts so long, you probably have a general idea of the mechanics. Why don't you DM? And I was like, "Eh, I don't know, seems like a lot of work. You know, what if I'm really bad at it? Um, So he kind of brought it up to a couple of the other people that we had been playing with and they were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I find that that's a lot the case that um, whenever somebody says, can I DM, you get a, a mountain of people asking to play. Yeah, we haven't had a hard time. This Friday, instead of doing our regular campaign, we're doing a one shot because we had a couple of people the holiday. And I put a, out a call to see if a couple of people wanted to take their place and we would just do a one shot, not the regular campaign. And within a couple of hours, I had uh, four people interested and wow. had to like roll dice to narrow it down because I, <laughs> I, I couldn't fit them all in. <laughs> uh, so you generally keep your groups when you're running them. Do you keep them smaller to like three, four, five people or have you ever had a larger group? I've only done four people, um, and one of the players is my husband, and then um, sort of an internet friend of ours and two of her friends that we're becoming friends with now. Uh, Players have kind of tried to push me like, well, what if we just add one more person? What if we just invite this person? And I've kind of put my foot down gently 
just because it's my first time DMing. I've done two sessions so far, and I would rather give you know my best quality to managing four players than keep adding people until all of a sudden I've got ten players and I'm just sitting there crying because I don't know how to keep track of them all. <laughs> I I can relate to that. I was running games, started off with four people, and that was really good. And then we kind of started to move into Curse of Strahd, and they told some friends who told some friends, and more people started showing up. I ended up with nine people by the end of it. And that was, that was intense. Um, I know some of them listen, so um, yeah, they, they've heard me talk about it before and just say, guys, I, I love you all. I want to keep playing, but I just, nine people is a lot. Thankfully, they were very into the roleplay side of it. So if I was stumped for something, they just kind of roleplay amongst themselves for about half an hour. And uh, yeah, that was really fun. But yeah, four, I find, is usually about the right number for certainly beginner um, dungeon masters when you really want to put that extra effort in and um, and give them the amount of attention as each character really deserves. Exactly. Well- um, as a job as well so you're not just running one campaign at a time i imagine you're running several no, yeah i've got uh at the moment i've only got two which isn't too bad okay but um it has been up to about four a week at some stages Oof. yeah which it, it's it's tough world building and keeping track of it all i mean i know you've got your world which maybe tell us a little bit about that as well this is um the land of noor is that correct is that pronounced yeah Yes, it's the the land of Noor. So um, Noor is kind of a pretty standard, basic, uh, high fantasy setting. I built it to have as much um, biodiversity as possible. So we've got a desert, we've got mountains, there's grasslands and forests and wild woods. So uh, there's there's lots of different areas that they can explore and and to give variety. So if they are traveling or, or they're exploring one place or another. Hard mortals, the half orc, the darkest between the stars, speaks. My presence in this reality warps the very fabric of your universe and causes your attempt to control your world by technology to Russia. As such, this entity or the thing you call a podcast has been altered by my very existence in this realm. Scrabble as they like, the humans involved only managed to overcome some of the riddles of my entrance into your reality, and yet the podcast continues. Hold them not accountable for any disturbance in your audio, for it is I, Bogothamog, the hungry golden emptiness that twists the digital sound you listen to. I think I'll hit record for the different server and that'll come through. Excellent. So I was saying how great technology. <laughs> it's so great. It's never a struggle or a pain in the ass. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you were describing how the the basic last bit I heard was that there are a lot of places that they could investigate and explore. Yeah, that. so I tried to create a lot of different biodiversity and, and a lot of uh, different, like kind of trying to condense all of the different things you would find in an actual world, but into a much smaller space that's easier for me to manage as a new DM and creating barriers like mountain ranges and oceans. Um, So it's like, okay, this is the country you get to explore. And if we continue this campaign for multiple years and I have more experience and you do all of the things that can basically be done, then we can go elsewhere and I'll invent new places. Um, But it's pretty basic kind of high fantasy there's some political intrigue there's some uh power struggle between the main i i have this i wanted to give um those that are playing paladins or what have you some freedom to insert whatever type of god they want 
Um, so rather than creating uh-huh. like really specific little gods, I have this structure where there's the six big gods that are called the ideals that are love, beauty, justice um, are the ideals of light. And then you have the ideals of shadow that are power, trickery, and I'm not going to be able to remember the sixth one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the idea is that you have these six big gods that don't get directly involved, but all any other like little god that the uh, characters or the players would want to insert as part of their backstory or as part of their role as a paladin um, would serve one or more of these big ideals. Um, and then... And then one of the big power structures of the world is the Church of Ideal Faith, which is kind of an apocalypse cult uh, that believes that, yeah, yeah, that believes that when all of these ideals, when the six ideals are in perfect balance, then the land of Nor will join basically the heavenly plane and and ascend and all will be perfect forever. Um, and that'll be the glorious end of the world. That's a really interesting concept. I love that idea of balance. And I think that's a, a really powerful one for role-playing games because generally people are playing heroes. So they're going out and defeating evil in quotation mm-hmm. marks, but yeah, trying to maintain that balance. If there's a an organization trying to maintain that balance, it makes it really interesting because sometimes you're going out to kill all the goblins that are raiding and sometimes you have to go and go, okay, this person is really good, but maybe they're being a little bit too aggressive in, um, in their smiting of evil and you'd have to go and talk them down. Exactly. And then when you get out from the initial church, it's actually sort of drawing on the infighting that I grew up with growing up in uh, kind of the evangelical structure where each denomination, quote unquote, like you have the church of justice who thinks that the reason things aren't in balance is because there isn't enough justice in the world and their whole identity is trying to bring more justice. Um, and, and you could, there's instances of that all throughout the world that you have different strongholds or different churches that are dedicated to this specific ideal, or maybe they're dedicated to the ideals of shadow for, or the ideals of light specifically. And so that's their agenda. Um, and so I, my players don't really know this yet, but there's really no quote good guys in my world and no quote bad guys. There are a lot of people that think they're doing the right thing um, and trying to gain power so that they can do more of the right thing. Yes. Yeah. I feel that you don't often see that. That, like I was saying before, that there's always kind of that good evil divide, but you never see people who are just doing what they believe is right, and that won't affect. Um, not really seeing how that's going to affect other people. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's that's a really fascinating way to do it, particularly when it seems like there is just a, that shade of grey throughout the entire world. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I I sort of gave my players, okay, this is the world, these are kind of the places, etc., as they were building their backgrounds, and I have a Goliath paladin who is says I I'm a paladin of light and I most recently came from the stronghold of justice and he's very much like yes justice and light and smiting evil etc cetera, etc cetera. and I'm sort of giggling myself to myself in the background cuz the guy that runs the stronghold of justice is really not that great he wants to start a civil war and overthrow <laughs> the country <laughs> But you know, you're just a paladin. Uh, you haven't met it. It leads to so many great plots down the. It leads to so many great plots down the line. Whereas he real once he realizes that. So how many sessions of the world have you run so far, uh, for that one? I've only run two so far. So we're very early on. Um, they fought some kobolds and got an assignment to take some 
illegal, possibly, merchandise uh, to the main city, getting around some of the guards uh, so that a friend of one of the player characters uh, can basically successfully evade taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so they're kind of traveling through the grasslands now, and the surprise that they got right before they left was that this beautiful young woman showed up um, and she has to get to the city, the the main city of Norna, and she has to talk to the king. And all they've gotten out of her so far is that if she doesn't talk to the king as soon as possible, there's going to be a war. Um, uh-huh. So that's a good, that's a good hook. Do you, now I will ask, do you know where that plot's going or have you just thrown this at them and seeing if they to pick up the, pick up the pieces and develop it more as they travel along. Oh, I absolutely know where it's going. Um, she has, she has run away from her uncle who is plotting against the King. And, uh, she's discovered this and is going to basically beg the King's forgiveness on behalf of, of her city and her uncle and, and reveal this plot to him in the hopes of avoiding a war. Oh, great. So the players will have no idea about this, I'm guessing, until she actually confronts the king. Yeah, they'll they'll have no clue. And the thing is, a lot of this high-level stuff, um, they don't have to engage with if they don't want to. It will continue to Whoa. move on without them. Like, if, if they... I have... Um, sort of DCs and roles already set up and ready to go. If they get to the city and go, okay, we're at the city. Good luck getting an audience with the king. Um... She might get to the king and successfully talk him into stopping a war. Her uncle might already be there. She might get captured. She might get killed. It depends on how the dice roll. So it's like, all right, you don't want to engage with that. You want to go do this instead. That's fine. The dice will decide whether there's a civil war. (laughs) (laughs) But also they will then discover it as other things go on. They'll be just doing their general business and they'll see the the build-up for war or the... I guess the move against the uncle and that it does give that feel of a real living world. Uh, Even if they don't engage with it at that time, the world moves around. Exactly. And that's kind of what I want to get across. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Skyrim. Don't get me wrong, but in an RPG, I think one of the reasons you play a role-playing game with other humans rather than a video game is because the world can move on without you yeah and that's that living breathing experience where it is that collaborative storytelling but there is a a world that you step into exactly so that's the feel i'm trying to get across for them and you know listening to your other podcast i've gotten a lot of good ideas of sort of subverting players expectations i uh in their second session they're traveling through the grasslands and they go through their their fighting i don't know some sort of bird beast um and that was their tough fight of the day so they got done with their tough fight of the day and then they meet this friendly giant and he's inviting them back to his cave and and you know mentioned something about treasure and i didn't know if they were gonna go for it but because they'd already had their big fight of the day they were like ah yes we had our difficult fight now we get our treasure and it's like great now he wants to keep you there for eternity cuz he's a stone giant dreamwalker and he thinks you're a figment of his imagination what are you going to do cuz you can't kill him cuz he's a cr like 14 and you're level 1 <laughs> Oh, that's so great. I love that. <laughs> they did have an out. They had to sneak it, out and fight their way out of the back of the cave through a waterfall. But uh... Oh, but they'll remember that when they came across that giant that was just way too powerful for them and wanted to keep them as a pet. Exactly. Exactly. He was like, you're shiny and pretty and you're going to stay with me for, I don't know, a while. <laughs> and then sort of getting I will into- love you and hug you and call you George. <laughs> Exactly. Except then uh, the giant also had some giant goats and one of them had a limp and they were kind of debating like, well, maybe we try to wait him out. Maybe he'll get bored and let us go in the morning. Um, And then they see that the goat is slowly turning to stone because that's an effect that the dreamwalkers have um, that I was having fun playing with. 
Mm. Oh, wow. That's so there's a time limit on it. Too. Exactly. Exactly. On top of the, you know, the the lady that they're escorting that keeps going like, I have to get there as soon as possible. I have to get to the city now. We can't wait three days for this giant to get bored playing with us <laughs> like we're dolls. <laughs> wow, that's great. Now, I'm wondering because you you've only run a couple of sessions for them, but I find that there's always, I mean, ever since I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and just writing things down, there's always those ideas, those worlds bubbling around in my head. I'm wondering how long has Noah been in your mind? Um, not as a complete world, but how long have you had those ideas for it? Is it something that you thought about as a, a piece to write about first, or is it something that you came up with once you started thinking, Hey, I could dungeon master. With too far ahead of time, I had been. Um, my husband's been getting me a little bit into reading Dragonlance this year, and I had been toying mm -hmm. with the idea of possibly making the next story uh, for Hobbies Include writing more of a fantasy story or a, a high fantasy story rather than the modern fantasy that that I'm doing now. Um, but I hadn't, I, I just kind of, once I had a group and once I, or I was going to DM, I was like, let's not make this first instance of DMing and this first story in world, my baby that I'm going to be very precious about and have a hard time taking criticism, yeah. you know, let's just, all right, let's Ooh. build a map and this icon looks cool. So I'm going to make a church. Okay. Now we have a religious struggle structure and a political structure and there's tension between them. Great. Um, because I, I just didn't want to be like, but I built this beautiful story for you and you're not engaging with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, I think a first time DM's ultimate nightmare of um, having this beautiful world that they've been thinking about for years. And as soon as someone else wants to play in that sandbox says, yeah, but I really like it over there somewhere else and just leaves. Exactly. We had a funny moment in our first session even because, you know, I didn't just, uh, in my mind, at least the players didn't engage with this at all, but in my mind, at least the kobolds in the cave, it wasn't just, well, it's a cave and there's kobolds. Why? Because it's a cave and there's kobolds. Um, I didn't just do that. <laughs> um, in my mind, there was a whole reason that the kobolds were there specifically um, and the kobolds had feelings. And, and there was actually one moment as they started fighting them, uh, one of my players was, tr I think they were trying to find out if kobolds would qualify as one of their favorite enemies. Um, but they were like, are kobolds, you know, are, are kobolds intelligent? And I said, oh, yeah, they're intelligent. They have jobs and lives and families and feelings. And players like, cool, I don't care. I shoot him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my response was, okay, that's fine. It, it, it truly didn't bother me because I'm intentionally, you know, this is much of a playground for me to sort of screw around with as it is for my players to do so. Yeah, I think it is Dungeons and Dragons is perfect for that. You kind of set up a situation, you get to see how other people react to that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it it's wild being on the other side of it too, um, because it's it's so reactionary. I mean, you know, with with other storytelling I do sort of write in my mind of, okay, this character does this, so how does this other character respond? But in D&D, you're handing over so much of that power over to the players to say, okay, the world does this, what do you do? Um, which in some ways is really freeing because I don't have to plan out every single plot point. I just sort of planned out the big things that are going on in the world and then one step at the time, okay, the players do this, so how does the world react? What's the next thing that's going to happen? Um, rather than, okay, I have this end game in mind of this is how it's going to turn out. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, how does that, how do you react to that when you're the player rather than the dungeon master? Are you looking at how the other players at the table or how their characters are reacting to what's what's going on and thinking about when I do this, how are they going to react? Um, I do a lot in, in my other campaign, and maybe this is a okay time to talk about 
my my character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Cal. Yeah, so Cal is a changeling trickster cleric, um, and she has kind of a really sad backstory. Uh, the world has gone through a lot of this one country sort of conquering other nations and taking over. And she was very, very young when her region was conquered. And so uh, it was a region where you had sort of the heavy hitters, the dwarves and the orcs and the, the minotaurs and some of the other bestial races. And then also the changelings. And the changelings were sort of the spies and the infiltrators for these notorious warrior clans. Um, and then they lost the war. And it's been rough in the region for everyone, but particularly for changelings because they can disguise themselves. And so the conquering nation has marked them and has, there's a lot more prejudice against them. Um, so Cal has grown up kind of with that resentment and with that anger and has seen, you know, her, her mighty warrior family kind of reduced to just side of the road tricksters and charlatans and, you know, eking out a living and she decides because the 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 quest that the party is on is that they are exploring this new region that nobody's ever been to um so she's trying to find a new home for her people basically mm-hmm. but on top of all of that and that being her entire is that all changelings or is it just after for her family? Specifically for her family, but it's not just like her immediate nuclear family. She comes from sort of a clan, um, a, a clan of changelings. Right. So, yeah, that's that's her end goal is we need somewhere else to live because I am tired of seeing us under the thumb of this tyrant. Um, this She calls him the, the usurper most of the times when she talks right. about him. Um but her method of, you know, I mean, she's a cleric, so she's a little bit of a, a heavy hitter, but I actually poured the biggest stat for her into charisma. And she's a people manager. She is constantly thinking about what all of the other NPCs and player characters are doing and what they want and what their motivations are, because she will be the chameleon not only physically she's actually mostly stayed in the same form because only the player characters know that she's a changeling she's not well one other npc figured it out but she's keeping a it a secret from most people um but she will use people like chess pieces. And if that means, you know, getting out her mace and slamming it on the table and scaring the crap out of someone until they do what she wants, or if it means smiling sweetly and batting her eyelashes and uh, flirting with someone, she doesn't care. She, she, her end goal is her end goal. And people are just things she can manipulate to get there. Yeah, with a high charisma um, character, I feel that's a really fun way to go because you do have that ability to just kind of manipulate whenever you desire, almost. But you have so many different options. You can lie to them, you can intimidate them, you can just use their own desires against them. Yeah, absolutely. And she she does prefer to use flattery to get what she wants. Um, you know, honey is sweeter than vinegar sort of thing. Um, she actually, they had an interesting moment. Metagame, what happened was our DM did not accurately calculate walking speed versus riding speed um, and realized it and realized that we were going to reach our destination a lot quicker than he thought because we have carriages and horses and whatnot. In-game, how that played out was that the caravan master realized that he had miscalculated and was very chagrined about it and very much digging his boot heels in saying, no, I calculated it the first time and it's going to take eight days and I'm a master cartographer and so it's going to take eight days if I have to walk us in circles for three days just to prove my point. (laughs) (laughs) And so Cal Cal overhears this conversation and 
she goes up to him and she's like, what's the problem? And she sort of hears out what's going on. And the other NPCs are caught. Two of the other NPCs are trying to argue some sense into him. And she goes, oh, well, how wonderful. What, what an excellent sign of leadership you've shown that you have found us a faster way through this wilderness. I'm sure we're all delighted to hear that your genius has found us a shortcut. And then he just—that's so great. He just sort of, you know. And of course, my DM's like, "All right, roll me a persuasion." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's like a twenty-nine because I put everything into my charisma." <laughs> but he just sort of grumbled and puffed his chest, like, "Yes, I am the smartest person here, and I shall go and do the thing." And she's just like, you know, and and there's other. NPCs that are more savvy than that particular character that kind of look at her and wink and giggle like, yes, thank you for taking care of that problem for us. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what um, fun charisma, I mean, because you see that role-playing aspect as well and finding a solution that isn't just, I'm going to overwhelm you with charm, but it is um, pulling the strings as it were, of each and piece. Exactly. And she, you know, I actually enjoy the role-playing side a lot more than I do the battle side. So when we needed a healer to balance out the party, I was like, yep, that's fine. I will play a cleric. I like how the cleric mechanics work anyway. Um, and I will just sit back and make sure everyone doesn't die in fights. But then when it comes to the social aspect, that's when I kind of come forward and shine and and that sort of thing. So uh, Cal's kind of like the party face, the one that deals with with um, recalcitrant patrons who are, don't want to pay as much. Well, yeah, that's actually she absolutely is, and it's actually kind of funny because our very first session, um, I think the DM had originally set it up the, so that we had two options of who was going to hire us to guard this caravan, um, and so Cal. Mm -hmm went up to the initial person, the Karen master, schmoozed him, played hardball as if her and this group of people that she just met were mercenaries who had other offers, which we did not, um, got him to pay us. And then when she met the merchant or the sort of merchant lord that's traveling with us, Basically said to him, you know, if you were to pay us and there were any ever any discrepancy between your goals and the government sanctioned caravan master's goals, then we could protect your interests. And so I got the party double the money for doing the same exact job. <laughs> I mean, that's what every party dreams of. <laughs> exactly. They were like, wait, we have 600 gold instead of 300 gold. And I was like, yes, you do. Here you are. Have fun. <laughs> Uh, I, I was losing my mind, though. I was like, this is exactly what I designed this character for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of um, that scene in Road to El Dorado where they're like, both. Both yes, is good. exactly. <laughs> We're just going to take both options. Exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, there's, there's uh, other sides to her other than just being charming. You know, she does have the darker past. I actually, she's having a rough time right now. Um, because and this might be a little bit of a body horror content warning, but we just found out that there are people selling changeling skin on the black market for 10,000 gold per square inch. Um, Jeez. Yeah, and so she's very... Do you, do you know why? Is it like something about why changelings... Is it just like a fashion thing or is it like something about the fact that they're also this, um, not outlawed species, but hunted species and disliked from, from the, the, uh, I the think server? it comes from them being othered, but, um, it's also, we found this out in sort of the more arcane city and the idea is that changeling skin still, uh, keeps some of its properties, its abilities to change and shift after the person is deceased. Um, and so there are basically wizards and sorcerers that are using this um, in their magics. So, yeah, it was a dark moment. And the DM actually, right before he said it, was like, oh, 
heads up, if we need to take a break after this, Cal, let me know, which I appreciated. Um, you know, he, he did a good job on that. <laughs> when you suddenly realize that one of your characters might be hunted for their skin, it's, uh, it's nice to have a warning. Yeah, well, and that she has family back home and she has a little sibling that is vulnerable and and she's just thinking like you know and the first thing she did when they got to this city was send like almost all of the money she had made so far back to her family um and so she's kind of having this like this sickening feeling of like one square inch of her skin could you know provide for her family more than she could ever make in a lifetime um yeah yeah so she, yeah that's that's a horrible choice to put on a player your dm is nasty and I like it. He, he's excellent and terrible um yeah it, so she's kind of she's not being her most charismatic self right now because she's kind of pissy and uh you know she tried to talk to their employer about this because he is kind of trying to make the world a better place and and uh is trying to stop some of the slave trade and other other things that are going on in the country and has helped specifically the nation that she is from since they were conquered um but she tried to talk to him about this and of course he doesn't know she's a changeling but she brought this up to him and he was like, oh, that's terrible. We should do something about that. Oh, well, that's depressing. Let's have a drink. And she got so angry because she felt so dismissed and just basically barked it, like yelled something at him and walked away from the table. Like, I'm, I'm done with you. I thought that you were a good person, but no, no, no. I have to remember it's just me for myself and my family and everyone else is an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. It's those character building moments, which you don't even, well, sometimes the dungeon master doesn't realize, but the NPC certainly doesn't realize at the time that are so memorable when you're at the table and will change sometimes the course of where your character is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't expect her to take that hard of a, a darker turn. Um, that quickly but she also she's changed her opinions about some of the NPCs uh, a lot even just in I think we've done three or four sessions there's a there's one character Jared that also works for their employer and we couldn't figure out at first we thought he was a bard and then we thought he was an eldritch knight and he kept sneaking off on his own (laughs) and she's like what are you doing what is your secret why do you keep sneaking off Uh, And she didn't like that because she doesn't like other people being sneaky uh, and charming, you know, which is kind of his thing. She's like, no, that's my thing. I lie to people and charge them into doing what I want. Um, And then she she followed him and found out, oh, he's a warlock to some sort of really creepy dark god. And her response to that is. Ah, okay, I'm sorry, my bad. Shouldn't have gotten your business. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) That's your thing. I mean, I'm not going to judge if if that's what you're into. Yeah, you do you. Yeah, I mean, she's a cleric to the Traveler who is not a particularly nice god to anyone who's not a changeling, so. (laughs) Yeah, she she understands. (laughs) Yeah, they actually had, she she got caught spying on him and they actually had a moment of ah we're not so different you and i uh and they're kind of friends now they're kind of buddies Um, that works out nice that's some some good dming as well because you do find a a kindred spirit i'm wondering though did your dungeon master work with you to build cal at the very beginning or um were you just kind of told this is what the world's like and you inserted her into it when you created her i'm saying her i'm I should check and see what her pronouns are, given that she's a changeling. She, yeah, she uses she, they, but her current persona is, um, presents as female. So she uses she pronouns. Um, that's also why I said earlier that she has a younger sibling, not a younger brother or sister. Cause in my mind, yeah. changelings would not assign gender at birth. Um, they would sort of let you decide or oh, not no. as you got earlier or as you got older. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting because we had 
you know, our DM kind of had an idea for the world that they were creating. And then we had almost a pre-session zero where we talked about, because Cal, I actually created a version of her. Um, she wasn't a chain or she wasn't a cleric then. She was a barbarian. But I had the idea of this changeling in a culture that was more of the traditionally brutish races um, that were orcs or dwarves or whatever that the more heavy hitters mm-hmm. keeping changelings around as part of their society because they need someone that can help them with she to the d he's like hold on i'm taking notes i'm taking notes and then he document of the world that was one of the things that he had built in was that this conquered nation of Bray were at one time mighty warriors. And part of the reason they were so successful in war is because they had all these heavy, heavy hitters and then these spies and strategists who could just infiltrate and create chaos in the ranks of whoever they were fighting against. That's cool. Changelings are underused. In my opinion, Eberron is kind of the the go-to for changelings, but it's so many options in other worlds. Yeah, I think that a lot of DMs, or at least what I've heard, is that a lot of DMs worry that people are going to abuse it. And part of the reason I kind of created Cal the way I did is that she doesn't want people to know she's a changeling. She's not going to shift out of her current persona in front of anyone unless it's an absolute dire emergency. So she's been just like an average yet attractive human female has been her persona, you know, thus far, except for the few moments where she's let the player characters know hey, just so you know, I'm a changeling. And the only reason she did that is because they are mostly a group of people that are kind of othered in this uh, central nation that they're in as well. And so she felt comfortable like, okay, well, you're a lizard folk and you're some sort of something that you don't even know what you are. Um, The person's a a tiefling, but they have no memory, so they don't know that they're a tiefling. And then the other Character is a player character is a dwarf who is from the country that she is from, and so she's not worried about him freaking out that she's a changeling. So he's like, "Okay, you can know. No one else can know. This is my secret." And it, that kind of works because all the um, most adventuring parties are a band of misfits anyway. That's why they go adventuring. Exactly. Yeah. You don't. You know, if you have like your bakery and a shop and a family and are having a lovely time, you don't suddenly go, honey, I'm going to go fight a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Unless the dragon's being really mean or didn't pay its its bill for all the bread. Well, yeah. I've got um, two, I've got a campaign. One of my campaigns I'm running at the moment is, is set in Eberron and it's got two changelings. Uh, and both of them want to be spies. I'm like, great, you work for a spy agency now. <laughs> That's what the entire campaign's going to be um, because you want to be spies. And I found they're not abusing it that much because they'll change into someone and then realize they've got to create an entire persona for this new person they've changed it in- into. And it's, they're going, it's just too much work. I'm just going to stick with the one I've already developed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have a couple of personas kind of... Uh, in line in case Cal needs them. Um, But yeah, it's, I don't know. I think changelings are are really fun to play. The only time she's really used her ability to her advantage was, you know, other than just in general, um, they had a situation where two of her dwarf friends got way too drunk. And then there were some obnoxious, just generic, um, you know, book characters at the bar that were causing a ruckus. And there was some words exchanged and she realized that her two dwarf friends were going to get themselves killed (laughs) because they were too drunk to hold their own in a fight. And so she just subtly made herself look a bit bigger to go over and, uh, And try and intimidate and talk down these. Her actually, at first, she was going to try and like maybe flatter them into calming down, but she walked over and um, before I had described her as sort of a little on the shorter side, 
And so my DM had had a lot of people refer to her as little lady, which she does not appreciate. Um, (laughs) And so this time, as she walked up, these guys looked at her and they said, well, aren't you a tall drink of water? And this led to one of my favorite moments so far, even though I haven't been role-playing that long. It was one of my favorite or talked to by a misogynistic jerk. Uh, You can never think of those perfect lines, those perfect comebacks in the moment. And it was so satisfying uh, because they, they said this, they said, well, aren't you a tall drink of water? And she just put her knee or her leg up sort of on this bench and leaned in and said, oh, I dare you to take a drink. I would love to watch you choke. Oh, that's so good. That's so great. It was such a good line. I was so proud of it. And then my idea was like, roll the intimidate check now, though. And I was like, oh, shoot. But it rolled really well, so it worked out. (laughs) So you you get advantage for a good line, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, you got to give me something. You got to lower the DC a little bit for that yeah. excellent of a line. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's about. I mean, you get you get to have these great lines without the consequence of someone being like suddenly really offended by it, if uh, or getting all defensive when you realize, yeah, oh, that's such a good line. Um, I'm realizing that it is getting we're we're running through our time mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, it's been, I could honestly keep talking for another couple of hours because uh, there's so much more I want to ask you about vampires and, and urban gothic and, and about um, blood that binds. But um, maybe you just let people know where they can find you um, and find your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So if you search on whatever your preferred podcasting platform is, hobbies include colon writing. So that's colon as in the punctuation hobbies include writing or if you want to check out my website it's hobbies include dash writing.weebly.com and you can find links to listen to it on whatever platform you prefer there and if you know anyone that is hearing impaired or just would prefer to read the episodes instead of listen to them i do post for free pdfs of each chapter on the blog page of that website fantastic i just want to thank you again for coming on um because as I said, it has been really fun. But one thing I do ask all of my guests uh, is to say farewell to our listeners as their character. So if mate, you don't have to come up with such a great line <laughs> like you did um, in the intimidation check, but if you could say, fa- say farewell to our listeners as Cal. Well, darlings, I've had the loveliest time with you. Uh, it's such a shame that we have to part, but I'll enjoy watching you go. So that's this week's episode. If you have uh, some feedback we'd love to hear, you can send us an email. Uh, the email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. You can also leave us a review on wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we are hosted by SoundCloud, and you can leave us comments there as well if you'd like. But if you'd like to tell a friend, that would be wonderful too, because then we can get out to more listeners. And if you leave us a review as well on Apple Podcasts or, again, wherever you're listening to this, uh, it will get us out to more listeners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Tell Me About Your D&D, and we are on Twitter as well at Tell Me Your D&D. I do have another podcast, which is Off Dice and DMs, also hosted on SoundCloud. The art for this episode is by Tori Tzeski, and the music is by Poddington Bear. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. May all your hits be grits.